0: Hello and welcome to Charmed Life, the podcast and YouTube channel about magic, metaphysics, mysticism, and the unconditional love of the universe. I am your host, Trisha Carr. I am a spiritual teacher. I am also a multidimensional channel and medium animal telepath and hypnotherapist. And I'm very excited about this episode. And if you listen to me regularly... I know I say that every time, but this one was really so much fun for me because my very special guest and I have so much that we have in common for interest so far as Western mysticism is concerned and also just magic. And so my guest is Damien Eccles. He is the author of the New York Times best selling book, Life After Death, co author of Yours for Eternity. He co authored that with his wife, Lori Davis. And also in 2018, he published High Magic, a guide to the spiritual practices that saved my life on death row. I read High Magic, and I am in the process of reading his brand new book just published this week, Angels and Archangels, A Magician's Guide. I'm not going to convince you about buying that book or checking out these books because I think you're going to really just love it as you listen to all that Damien and I get to talk about in this episode. Very excited to welcome to Charmed Life, Damian Eccles. Damian's story is fascinating, and there are documentaries and um, and and books and everything. And, and his first or his second book, I think it is High Magic. He talks a little bit about his background, and so I encourage you after this interview, if you're if you're interested in learning a little more about his background, go and check that out. We're going to start with his work right now, which is so powerful, and it is with magic. So welcome, Damian. So glad Thank to talk you. to you.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: And you have also started a YouTube channel, which I'm enjoying very much. And so Thank I you. encourage folks to go and check that out. What I love about your work, both in the writing and in the, the present, all of the presentation that you're doing is it's very practical. It's very comprehensive and holistic. Mm-hmm. And as I told you earlier when we were just greeting one another, so authentic. So I guess I, let's go ahead and... Imagine people haven't read high magic, and your next book is coming out really soon, Angels and Archangels and Magicians Guide. Mm-hmm. So tell folks, what kind, what is your dedication or your work in magic, or maybe even start with what magic is? Uh,
1: my, my tradition, my practice is uh, what we call high magic, which, you know, that's, that's kind of a slang for it. Uh, the actual technical term for high magic is astrotheurgy. Mm -hmm. And what it involves is uh, invoking the intelligences that are inherent in star systems, constellations, um, that in modern day times, we call them angels, but they've Mm -hmm. had, you know, they've been called other things all the way, you know, back to the dawn of human civilization. Uh, for me, personally, whenever I delve, to, you know, whenever we also, whenever we talk about magic, magic is spelled with a K, M-A-G-I-C-K, uh, the K is added to the end. Most people now, are, in, in spiritual traditions at least, are familiar with the the concept that when you see the K at the end, that was sort of added to so that whenever you see the word you can differentiate it from sleight of hand mm-hmm. you know stage magic pulling rabbits out of hats or mm-hmm. sawing someone in half things like that uh, which is part of the reason it has the k uh, but the k was actually added by a magician uh, that belonged to the order of the the golden dawn
0: mm-hmm. his
1: name was alistair crowley and the reason he added the k was also so that whenever you saw that you would know automatically that you were talking about an ancient Sumerian tradition of Mm -hmm. spiritual development.
0: Well, we can't pass by Aleister Crawley uh, that easily. (laughs) He is a (laughs) a very interesting character. Um, I uh, So I am studying right now the Law of One, the raw material, and they actually asked Ra about Alistair Crawley in that work. And the way that Ra described it, and sorry, I'm passing real fast through these concepts because I don't want to derail our conversation, was just basically that Alistair had some had some of the real stuff going and then kind of just got a little bit derailed by some ego and some, some other darkness and, and whatnot. What do you think about some of what is reported that he got up to with having, you know, I heard something about like, you know, as a, a young man or a young boy sex slave in his closet and all this kind of crazy stuff. What, what, think, what is your you take know, on all of that? Most of that
1: kind of stuff, whenever you actually start to do the research mm-hmm. into it, you find that there's almost no truth to mm. hardly any of it. Interesting. Um, it's mostly written by people who did not have any understanding or a concept of what he was even talking about. You know, whenever you're like what you cannot just read his his writing, his books, Mm -hmm. very few things he he produced very few things which are surface level reading material. Most of it is sort of uh, like I hesitate to use the word code, but that's sort of what it is. You Mm -hmm. have to have passed certain benchmarks within magic to even be able to understand what you're reading. You know, um, and you could go into things, for example, like uh, you'll hear a lot of accusations that he was into human sacrifice Mm -hmm. and they'll point to specific things in his writing to bring Mm -hmm. that up. Mm-hmm. what they don't comprehend or what they don't understand is, is if you don't have a background in things like Western ceremonial magic or Eastern tantra and all sorts of other things, um, you don't even realize that what he's, keep in mind that at the time he's writing this stuff, it is illegal to write about sex in mm-hmm. England. Mm-hmm. He could have been thrown in prison for it. He is writing about tantra. When he is talking about When he uses phrases like uh, sacrifice, he is talking about an orgasm that is um, done as a ritual act for the purpose of expansion of consciousness versus procreation. Right. Uh, I think it is really, really hard to find things that are written by people that are connected to his lineage or tradition that have a very strong deep understanding of what he's even talking about for people who want to really know who really want to explore this subject and keep in mind this is not like a light um you know breezy read a book and suddenly you understand type thing Mm -hmm. this is a lifelong uh, commitment to study I would suggest the order Uh, that he began after he left the Golden Dawn, which was, uh, it's usually called the AA. But a lot of people, whenever they hear AA, will automatically think of Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm -hmm. That's not the same AA. Uh, (laughs) The the AA that Crowley um, started was called Astrum Argentium, which means the Order of the Silver Star. Mm -hmm. So anybody who really wants to delve into what this work really means, um, that's where I usually suggest that they would start at. Mm-hmm.
0: So it sounds to me like they tried to cancel Aleister Crawley. you know, the cancel culture that we have now.
1: That, yes. But, yeah. I, you know, at the same time, he did bring a lot of that sort of stuff on himself. Sure. Uh, in his own behavior uh-huh. uh, and, and in the way he, like, he didn't back down from anyone. Uh-huh. You know, he, if, if if people challenged him, he would, usually antagonize them and make the situation worse Uh. because and and part of that also ties into the fact that he was trying to get magic out to um a mainstream or a wider audience keep Mm -hmm. in mind magic is a tradition that up until very very recently was not something that the masses had access to you Mm -hmm. know when you're going Magic, The Crowley tradition of magic is very, very tied into things like, for example, the history of the Bible, which mm-hmm. most people don't know. But when you're talking about, for example, the Old Testament of the Bible, you're talking about a book that is written for kings, by kings, about kings. It was never meant to be read and understood by the common person. This was something that you were only going to be able to understand what you were even reading in one of two ways. One is if you were born into royalty or aristocracy, which back in those days were, you know, most people couldn't even read. The Mm -hmm. only way you were gonna be able to read and write is if you were born into one of those royal aristocratic families, or if you were part of a tradition that passed down sort of this key that allowed you to decipher what this information was about. And I'll give you an example of what I mean. Like when I said that magic is about astrotheurgy, Magic basically gave birth to every religion in the Western world. What astrotheurgy is, is the study and practice of developing and changing our consciousness with celestial energies and intelligences. When you're looking at, you know, like in the Bible, for example, when you're talking about things like Jesus and the 12 disciples, you're talking about the sun and the 12 constellations of the zodiac. Mm-hmm. A lot of the stuff in the Bible that most people don't think makes sense, like, say, a man uh, being born of a virgin, it's because we've, we usually don't have the key to understand that, for example, you're talking about the constellation of Virgo. Mm-hmm. You're not talking about a woman uh, who's never been married or never had sex or whatever it is. Um, so you go from the Old Testament where very, very few people, you know, like the basically now what we would call the 1%, Mm-hmm. had access to this information. That's why magic was called the science of kings or the royal science. It is the science of becoming a king. So that's what the entire New Testament was about. When Jesus comes along, the point of his work is to take this this incredibly powerful tool, uh, and take it out of this the hands of this very elite strata of society and bring it to the masses. Mm-hmm. That's what the work of Jesus was about. Mm-hmm. Crowley was in a lot of ways trying to do the exact same thing. He was trying to take magic out of this rarefied environment and give it to anyone who wanted to take a crack at it. You know, he said magic is for for the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker. Mm -hmm. Basically, anybody who has the intelligence or desire to practice this should be able to, to try it, to do it.
0: And the symbolism, as you're talking about, or written in code, and thinking about how you can't really uh, you, there are, there are layers. There's a sustainable path, uh, a natural path, uh, growth you know pattern that we that we all have to kind of. Develop in, and so even just the example that you gave—that people couldn't even read. So there was a lot of personal development or inner work that wouldn't even be able to grasp it. Now that's definitely not where we are now, because collectively we are at obviously people for the most part, fortunately, and there's a lot of misfortune about that can read and have access, and you know collectively our vibration is higher. And and but the symbol. By the way, I have a little mini series within my. Um, my podcast called metaphysics of the Bible. So I love to dig in and, and mm-hmm. talk about the symbolism, but what just occurred to me was, you know, Jesus is the Lord. Yeshua is the Lord of the Piscean age and yes. the Christianity and Jesus, the the fish symbology and everything yes. all about, I, I hadn't really thought of that before. Well, so I
1: mean, that's, you just went into a very, very deep uh, aspect of magic. It's actually one of the aspects of mm. magic that I, I, Love and could get lost in for days at a time, you know. People don't realize that not only is Christianity symbolic of the Age of Pisces, mm-hmm. all other religions are also uh, products of the age that they come from. You know, mm-hmm. when you're talking about going back to uh, ancient Samaria where magic began, you know, I used to to do these tours at the Met where I would take people through like the Near Eastern section and give them uh, like. The history of magic, how magic develops, and one thing that you see in all of these old Sumerian statues is you'll see these gods and these goddesses and these mythical creatures that all have these bull horns on their head. They were crowns made of horns. Uh, and and at first I would think, well, why bull horns? You know, that seems like a really pedestrian thing uh, for a king or a god or a queen or a, you know whoever to be wearing. So when you start doing research into it one of the very few things that you'll find about it is those bullhorns represented kingship or divinity. And you Mm -hmm. think, well, that's okay. That's fine. But why did it represent those things? It's because at the time that ancient Samaria you're talking about the religion of polytheism, you Mm -hmm. know, many gods, many goddesses at the time, that that is the dominant feature of the religion of the world. uh, What the Sumerians knew, they understood very, very precisely uh, events that were going on in the heavens. For example, the equinoxes. Yeah. What we now know is the precession of the equinoxes. What this means, and this is why all different cultures have paid so much uh, attention to the spring equinox. If you stand facing east at the spring equinox for 2,000, between 2,100 and 2,500 years, you will see the sun rise in the same constellation of the zodiac. If you were to stand facing east in ancient Sumeria uh, on the spring equinox, you would have seen the sun rise in the sign of Taurus for over 2000 years, which Mm -hmm. is where the bullhorns come from. Right. Skip ahead about 2150 years. If you would have stood and this is keep in mind, then this would have been the age when Judaism was the religion that was starting to spread throughout Western culture. It was the big growing spiritual path. If you stood facing east at this time, uh, And watch the sunrise at the spring equinox, you would have seen the sunrise in the sign of Aries. This is why in Judaism, there's all these symbols like, uh, you know, the Jewish priests play the ram's horn. It's why when Abraham's getting ready to sacrifice Isaac, God sends a ram to him instead. It's why when Moses comes down off of the mountain, he sees, he, you know, freaks out when he sees people worshiping the golden calf. Because it's outdated.
0: Calf, <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> That's, that was Taurus. Y'all were exactly. here in Aries yes. and the burning bush as well, the fire. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And
1: then whenever you skip ahead 2,150 years later, you stand facing east at the time of the spring equinox and you see the sunrise in the sign of Pisces. Mm-hmm. This is why, you know, there's all this fish symbolism in mm-hmm. Christianity. Like Jesus called his disciples fishers of men. Mm-hmm. Whenever he feeds the multitudes, he feeds them with two fish. Uh, Even in the earliest churches that they're starting to excavate in the world now, they have found that there were no crosses in these churches. Instead, Mm -hmm. the symbol that they found in all the tile work and everywhere else was a symbol of two fish laying end to end. Mm -hmm. At one point, Jesus even tells the disciples, he says, I'm getting ready to leave you. They say, well, what do we do when you leave? He says, follow the man with the water pitcher into his house. Well, men did not carry water pitchers in those days. That was considered entirely women's work. However, the sign of Aquarius, which is what the sun would be going into next, is symbolized by a bearded man holding a water pitcher. Wow! All of these religions are about the stars. Whew.
0: I'm just like, I'm exploding. It's so good. Such good stuff. Well, you know what else? This reminds me of all the ages, the the ruling ages, is uh, the statue in Daniel 8. I get fidgety when I read this. The statue in in Daniel 8 is really talking about all the different ages, ending at the Mm -hmm. feet with uh, the 10 toes, which are like the Mm -hmm. splintering. Um, So that's... uh, all, wow good stuff <laughs>
1: the ages and it also symbolize keep in mind that a lot of these stories have what they call front speech and back speech yes. Front speech is like the part of the story given to the masses. Mm -hmm. Back speech is the part of the story that is usually reserved only for initiates, one Mm -hmm. of the things that Jesus was trying to do away with, Crowley was trying to do away with. And it's part of what modern magicians are supposed to be doing as well. Once you reach a certain place in your spiritual development, it's sort of looked at as like your obligation to preserve these teachings so that people Mm -hmm. can find them in the future, so that they're not just restricted to a very small percentage um, but it, you know when you're talking about the statue in Daniel, uh, and, and this is one of the things also I always point out. Daniel is probably my favorite book of the Bible. Yeah. I have a, a framed picture of Daniel hanging above my bed. Most no people way. <laughs> Will try to tell you that Christianity or that magic is anti-Christian or that you know it's the opposite of Christianity. If if you read the book of Daniel. Right there, it tells you as plain as day, it calls Daniel not only a magician, it says he is the master of magicians. Mm. And it says the way he becomes that is because when he is a child, the king Nebuchadnezzar has him sent to be trained by the Chaldeans, which Mm -hmm. is what they call the Sumerians, these priests who studied the stars. So he sends Daniel and all these other young boys to study under these Sumerian astrologers and magicians. Whenever he starts to have a dream at one point, Um, You know, he can't, he, he wakes up the next day and he doesn't even remember what this dream is. All he knows is it was incredibly unsettling. Mm -hmm. So he calls Daniel and all of these other magicians, his, you know, his official court magicians to him. And he says, not only do you have to tell me what my dream meant, you have to tell me what I dreamed. It says that Daniel can tell him what he dreamed because God sends Daniel the exact same dream. Mm-hmm. So in this dream, Daniel says, you, you dreamed of a statue that has a golden head, a silver chest and arms, a bronze belly and thighs, um, uh, iron. iron calves mm-hmm. and feet made of iron and clay. Mm-hmm. So on the outside, what this represents is like you said, the ages of the world, like yeah. he tells Nebuchadnezzar, you are the golden head of the statue. Babylon is the most valuable, uh, Perfected, sought after part of this statue. God has given you this kingdom. Everything that comes after you will be watered down, will be slightly less valuable, uh, and it, it will keep going that way until this cycle starts over again. So you're talking about you go from Babylon, which is the head, to uh, Persia, which mm-hmm. is the silver chest, and arms, which is also just a a crazy, amazing story, you know, going into the Persian stuff and how that ties into the book of Esther, the book of Esther, you know, it's the only book, or it's one of the few books of the Bible that God has never even mentioned. Yeah. And the word Esther is Persian for star. You, it's a reference to the ancient Sumerian goddess, uh, Inanna Mm. or what most people will hear, you know, call her now Ishtar. Mm-hmm. uh that's in, uh, entirely what that was that book of the bible was about esther but you go from you know persia being the silver chest and arms to from there magic spreads to ancient greece, greece alexander yeah. the great comes mm-hmm. in conquer you know the greeks conquer persia the current of magic spreads into greece where it you know that's the bronze belly and thigh so it's a mm-hmm. little less valuable it's a little more watered down a little less coherent than the previous eon Mm -hmm. From Greece, you go into the ancient Roman Empire, Mm -hmm. which is where magic, the current of magic spreads to next. That's the iron calves and feet. Uh, I mean, the iron calves. Then you go into the modern day world, which is the iron and clay feet. What the iron and clay feet represents is, you know, it's the weakest, least valuable uh, part of the statue, and, and a huge part of that is because so much of the information that these previous aeons and civilizations had about magic, we have now lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we don't have access to those things anymore.
0: And even the toes are—they're ten, almost like ten separate kingdoms, ten separate and yes. weakened kingdoms yes. within the one kingdom yeah, well, of, of the, Roman, the Roman Roman Empire. Empire
1: mm-hmm. um, after the Roman Empire collapsed, it broke apart into 10, ten? smaller kingdoms. Exactly.
0: Yeah. So, <laughs> don't mean to, I'm like so excited. I'm like saying it with you.
1: <laughs> that's yeah, the that's same way I always feel whenever <laughs> I start going into this stuff.
0: Oh my gosh, that's so fascinating. It's, it's so crazy how, you yeah, know, just how it works. <laughs> I mentioned Daniel, like I'm all about Daniel. Mm-hmm. In this. <laughs> One thing also,
1: if you notice on the cover of Angels and Archangels, uh-huh. the figure that's on there. Uh, also ties into the Bible. It, it's um, a lamasu. It's what they called it in ancient Sumer. This was the very first depiction of an archangel in the world. Oh, cool. A lamasu is what they called a tetramorph. A tetramorph is a figure that is made by combining four figures together. So when you're looking at the lamasu, you're looking at something that is a. It's a combination of a lion, a bull, a man, and an eagle. Uh, and you'll find those four symbols repeated over and over throughout Christianity. You know, even mm-hmm. the books Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they say, repre- are represented by those four things. In all of Christian artwork up until the Renaissance, you'll see those four things. Keep in mind that in these ancient times, art was not what it is now. Back mm-hmm. then, art was seen. They knew a time would come when their written language was no longer readable, when no one spoke yeah. their language anymore. But if you could decipher this iconography, you could still get to the techniques and information within these things. Mm-hmm. somewhere. So that continued all the way up until the Renaissance. That's why when you look at Christian paintings in the Renaissance, you'll see the lion, the bull, the man, and the eagle. Sometimes pictured in the four corners where Jesus is. Mm-hmm. Um, after the Renaissance, art became more like uh, cultural cannibalism, more like um, political commentary, mm-hmm. or you know, people expressing their feelings or the their internet. Thoughts or...
0: Basically, it became the internet.
1: <laughs> it, yes, yes. But these that Llamasun, media. you will see these creatures talked about in both the Old and New Testament. In the Old Testament, you find them in the book of Ezekiel, where Ezekiel says he sees these four creatures pulling mm-hmm. a throne or pulling a chariot to the throne of God, which became like the source of the Jewish uh, esoteric magic practices, uh, the Merkabah. Mm-hmm. The the chariot that they're pulling to the throne of God is your aura. You're transforming your aura, your entire energy system, by invoking and consuming these four energies. What these four energies represent Uh, The lion is Leo, the bull is Taurus, the man is Aquarius, and the eagle, most people when they think of Scorpio think of a scorpion, but also the eagle and the phoenix are symbols of Scorpio. Mm. So you are looking at the four fixed signs of the zodiac combined into one animal. So Ezekiel sees them, you see them mentioned again thousands of years later by John in the book of Revelation, where John says he sees these four creatures standing before the throne of God and weeping, saying, you know, who can read the scrolls? No one can be found who can open the scrolls. Mm -hmm. What that means is we will, and kind of have, entered a time in history where nobody even remembers this information anymore. It's been forgotten.
0: But... For you <laughs> and other people <laughs> who are doing the work or carrying exactly. it on, <laughs> bringing some, yes. bringing down some of that gold all the way down yes. to the toes. <laughs> well, you know what? One of the it's, I have to say, I prepared this question in advance, and I didn't have to because we're already talking about it. Because I wanted to say, uh, I wanted to talk about whether initiation is necessary, or and when we say initiation, I, I see that as just personal and spiritual development. It, it before we start to practice magic or you know maybe that is such as crossing the abyss which you can talk to us about you talk about that in the angels and archangels and is it more advisable to have that kind of initiation which is more of a maybe more of a personal process or is magic only as effective as whatever that personal process is and so it's not going to really it's not going to engage with the cosmic energies if the by you know, the laws of how energy works right i don't know It's
1: kind of, uh, I I really think it's a little bit of both. It's a little bit of of all of that, Mm -hmm. uh, just because a lot of these things, one of the reasons for initiation is, is sort of like you are having information passed to you from a lineage of people who have preserved this sometimes all the way back to the dawn of human civilization. Mm -hmm. They have these keys to decipher this information. Uh, They have techniques that you're not going to find, you know, in in books or uh, websites and things um, that are, you know, just everywhere. Uh, So there is incredibly valuable things that you can obtain from a legitimate initiation into a magical lineage. But is it absolutely needed? I don't think it is at all. No, absolutely not. Um, I think if you do the work, if you study the material, uh, you will find whatever it is you need to find to fill in those gaps that you're missing.
0: Well, and the thing is, if you study the material, that is basically like an initiation process you know it's someone else that someone else collected it some other master or decoder collected it together and also if you spend enough time in the material then the you'll start connecting you'll be able to decode it yourself basically you'll be connecting to the energy beneath it like you were saying things are written in code like the bible's written in code but i studied the bible from the time i was 11 i got into underneath the you know the the code and started saying, wait, this church stuff doesn't make any sense <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> to yes, the thing exactly. that they say they are going by, at least. Yes. Yeah.
1: You know, that that is absolutely true. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, what I'm referring to, I guess, about the things given to you sure. uh, for me, for example, were things that I didn't find information on in other places. Yeah. Like, for example, when you're talking about uh, the 72 angels of the Shem HaMepharash mm-hmm. or what they call in magic, the Shem operation, just because it's such a mouthful, let's say that. And how that ties into things like, for example, you know, you find the number 72 repeated over and over throughout, uh, you know, for example, in the, in the gospel Isn't. of Luke, they say that Jesus has 72 disciples mm-hmm. or in the book of Abramal and the mage, which is one of the big, most influential books in magic, uh, that is, uh, you know, it's basically the process of how to come in contact or how to attain the knowledge and conversation of the HGA, what they call the holy guardian angel. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says in there that uh, Abra Malin at one point goes to give money to 72 poor people. Uh, you know, you come across this number 72, and and I, I, it wouldn't have registered just because I had never seen anything explaining to me what is the significance of this 72. Now, mm-hmm. uh, it The only way that I found out about that was by coming in contact with uh, I was fortunate enough to come in contact with a um, an order of practicing magicians and alchemists uh, based in Europe who had ties to some of I mean, this this material was a very deep foundational part of their practice. And it was like they gave me things that all of a sudden was like, oh, my God, why didn't I see that before? Or suddenly all this other stuff started falling into place that I never would have, well, I won't say I never would have been able to figure it out on my own, but they perhaps saved me 10 to 20 years of floundering around and, and struggling uh, by giving me things that brought all of this stuff into perspective.
0: Mm-hmm. I love the you know I fell in love with numerology again by studying the Bible when I was a kid cuz when I was a kid that was the only paradigm that I knew for spiritual development. I grew mm-hmm. up in Texas and my family didn't take me to church. I took myself to church and so that was my that was my paradigm that was the way I knew to develop spiritually. But I love the numerology in the Bible or numerology in all kinds of all of the different sacred texts and traditions and rituals. Mm-hmm. And um, well, the 72 to me right off the bat, uh, seven is the number of spirituality, both inner and outer. Two is the number of love. And then together they come to nine, which is about the harvest, which is the full maturity and humanitarianism and unity. Mm -hmm. And so that makes a lot of sense to me. I would love to. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. I was just going to say (laughs) that
1: usually um, 72, Mm -hmm. what we're doing with it in magic, you know, Mm -hmm. like I said, all of this goes back to the stars. It's Mm -hmm. all based on the study of the stars. So, you know, we have the 12 constellations of the Zodiac Mm -hmm. and there is an archangel, which is the intelligence behind all 12 of those constellations. Mm -hmm. Well, if you take a constellation of the Zodiac, it can be split into three equal parts of 10 degrees. So each of those 10 degrees also has an intelligence uh, that presides over it. So now Mm -hmm. you have the 12 constellations of the Zodiac with their 12 intelligences. And if you split each one into three equal parts of 10 degrees, you have 36 more. So these 36 are the angels of the deacons. Well, if you take those 10 degrees and split them in half, you have 72 which are, you know, further divisions of every constellation of the Zodiac. And these 72 uh, portions of the Zodiac also have intelligences uh, that preside over them. So when you're going through these invocation rituals and you're invoking all of these intelligences around you, you're doing several things simultaneously. You know, you're, you're, uh, interacting with this energy, you're absorbing it, but you are also on a very deep level triggering something in your psyche mm-hmm. because if you have just invoked every constellation uh, and and every deacon of the constellations and and every, you know, split them down into 72 portions, all around you, what you have just said to your consciousness is I am the center of yes. the universe.
0: Yes. Yes, and you're invoking really the consciousness that is you know your own consciousness that is those parts as well Um, yes yes. and so that's why invocation we just talked about this yesterday in the class that i taught invocation is so powerful what the way they described it to me yesterday i mean like archangels are my guides because i partially channel class some of those classes i i prepare a little bit but i channel a lot of it so i can learn as well and what they were saying about invoking archangels or invoke, invoking some kind of cosmic master or um, agriagor, as uh, I mm-hmm. want to talk about in a sec, then you are... Invo- you're invoking that of yourself. You're creating yes. the frequency that is true about you. And yes. they meet you the rest of the way, because they are also real. And they meet absolutely. you the rest of the way. And grace takes care of the rest. And, yes. and absolutely. And so absolutely. what they were talking about yesterday, I want to share with you was, because we have this human concept of doubt, and particularly people who are interested, who are kind of studying some of the law of attraction and everything. And we think that, oh, if I have doubts, it's not going to work. And that's I'm sure this is, this is definitely a part of magic, too. The the way they explained it to me yesterday was just having doubts is just your intelligent energy, recognizing other probable possible and, you know, parallel realities, yes. but they don't run you, you run them. And so yes. you just choose not to run that program, basically, and that's yes. fine.
1: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And and I've found that, you know, there are things I, I, I it's like when you're interacting with these intelligences that we're calling angels and mm-hmm. archangels, it's they are for some reason, I, you know, I have found them to be more effective than any other kind of magic that I, that I ever tried previous to that. You know, it's like you automatically start seeing changes in yourself, in your environment. Mm -hmm. And it's like, if you do use it for like some sort of manifestation purposes, it seems like it comes about so much more quickly and harmoniously and more powerful than, than anything that I tried before that. Um, but, But, you know, going back to what you were saying a second ago about the thing inside yourself, it's like you're, Mm -hmm. the way we look at it in in magic is uh, you're working with them on two different levels simultaneously. Yes, there is the external, you Mm -hmm. know, yes, these things have existed long before we were born, but Mm -hmm. at the, and and you are working with them on that level of reality, you know, as an independent uh, separate individual consciousness from your own. But at the same time, there are, parts of your own psyche and soul that correspond to those outer intelligences. So you're, you're kind of working on them outwardly. And like you said, inwardly in yourself at the exact same time. Uh, Mm -hmm. And and for me, you know, you're talking about doubt and things like that. For me, it was like, I would go back and forth between those things in the beginning. And I would think, you know, am I, am I really doing something external or is this all internal? And I would go back and forth. I would think, okay, it's all internal, you know, Mm -hmm. this happened. So it's all internal. And then, you know, weeks go by and I would say, no, that happened. And and there's no way if this was just all internal that it would have had some sort of external material- materialization or manifestation aspect like that. Eventually, what I came to realize is, oh, they don't contradict each other. Right. It's happening at the same time. And and I, my point to all that is I found that even if I did have doubt, even if I didn't know exactly what I was doing, if I kept at it... Mm-hmm. These things if you take a step towards them they will take 10 towards you. So yes. you can have doubt and it will still work.
0: Yes, that's the that's like the grace. Like they will rush in. Yes. And yesterday they kind of put it in a percentage and they're like don't don't hold too stringently to these percentages. But let's say in order for healing manifestation whatever it is, whatever outcome you are endeavoring to see with your magic or your invocation, that if it's you have 51% of running the frequency, you could have 49% of what we think is doubt, and it can work. They said, yesterday, they said, on average, it's usually 70%. And that's just because you have the doubt or the programs that you would be running that we call doubt, because you're learning from them still. And Mm -hmm. that's that's why it it tends to be an average of 70%. But they Mm -hmm. still rush in the rest of that 30% for us, you know? You know, I would say, and for me, I think
1: that was probably not only did I have probably that degree of maybe even more than 70% in the beginning, Mm -hmm. you know, like when I first started doing these practices, not only did I doubt it, but I also had, I guess the only way to describe it is almost like an ax to grind, because Mm -hmm. I was on death row at the time that I started Mm -hmm. doing some of these practices. And I was put there by people who did not understand anything that I was talking about. When I was talking about magic, so I'm accused of being a Satanist. Mm-hmm. These people tried to murder me. They sent me to death row. Mm-hmm. So the way I'm looking at it is this is the spiritual paradigm of the people who are trying to murder me. I don't want anything to do with that. Mm-hmm. So not only did I have the doubt, I had like this, this kind of vehement, no thank you sort of <laughs> stance. But when I actually forced myself, you know, it's like, what do you got to lose? Mm -hmm. So I started doing them. And when I saw how effective they were, the doubt started to, that rate of doubt started to drop like crazy until over the years, I think I reached a point where, you know, I would probably be more surprised if something didn't work than if it did right uh, you reach a, you know you can you can have a ton of doubt in the beginning and this is one of the reasons you know when you're talking about manifestation i think it can come off sometimes sounding kind of shallow mm-hmm. like people think you know oh that's the extent of your spiritual practice is trying to manifest something in the world that's not very deep it's not very holy it's not very sacred one of the ways that i look at it is if you show someone this and they're able to use it to manifest something you have just probably increased their faith tremendously. Mm-hmm. They're like, "Oh my God, it worked to do that." So, yeah. what else will it work to do? It's like the more success you have, the more your your level of doubt starts to drop, or at least that was that's how it was for me personally.
0: Yeah, it's like the the pro. You know, humans are we're well. Th- there's power in the paradox. That's what you're kind of what you're getting at. You know, the, that every this universe is a paradox because there's the creator or the you know the source of all things which if it's the source of all things it's also nothing so in order mm-hmm. for it to experience anything it had to have a thought or a word or a movement and that's what we are and mm-hmm. yet we're all one you know what i mean like la. you know that's mm-hmm. it's it's there's power in the paradox but if you, if you go down to the atoms atoms have you know positive charge negative charge and a neutral charge and the neutral charge is that masterful position so with um with the the doubt um kind of concern it does seem to go away because humans li- humans are about a journey and for me with the like with reading with intuitive reading and I do animal animal telepathy and all of that that's one model or even just teaching where before I go up I might be like resistant doubtful all this human stuff like who says what a what crazy person says they can talk to a dead animal you know what i mean like that's insane yeah. i'll have that little voice but then the experience of all the times of every single time it just happens talks me into it i mean my ego i can talk my ego into it to just shut up and you know get on board and it's yeah. that experience that just becomes the evidence that <laughs> Makes yes. the, It helps yes. you to just set the container for yourself. And and I do
1: kind of the same thing you were talking about a while ago about like you only, you don't completely prepare for, for whatever you're going to teach yeah. because you want to leave room for, you know, that influx, that, yeah. that energy to speak through you. But what I, I would say I probably prepare for whatever class or uh, audio program or whatever it is I'm going to do, I probably prepare maybe 10%. Mm-hmm. What I usually do for the rest is... I will start doing invocations Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes several days beforehand for uh, angels and archangels that are associated with the planetary energy of Mercury, because Mercury Mm -hmm. is always about, you know, conveying ideas and and expressing information in a way that other people can understand, things like that. I will start doing invocations of of angels of Mercury saying, you know, help me.
0: Yeah.
1: Let let me do whatever needs to be done. Mm -hmm. Nine times, if I do that, not only nine times out of 10, you know, I walk in and it's like just blah, like all this stuff just comes out of me, yeah. but it's also like at the end of it, I'm like, where in the hell did that come from? <laughs> no, that was amazing. So it's and like it's cohesive. Said, it's
0: like, Weirdly, it's cohesive. That it actually makes yes. sense. And
1: you're like, oh, yes. Okay. And it's like you do learn from it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I've noticed, I've played around with it and I've done like extensive outlines for teaching, but then when I'm actually going to do it, I'll, not look down at the outline because mm-hmm. it's going like you say. And then I look down and I scan and it's like, oh, 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 we did that. Oh, we actually went beyond that. And so it almost mm-hmm. is like falling Yeah, deep. it's the same thing. And it, you know, for
1: me too, it's like I I don't like teaching. I like yeah. learning. Oh okay. so whenever whenever I, do <laughs> I was like, it come this on, way, man. It's like I, I kind of get the best of both worlds. Right. Yes, you are teaching something, but at the same time it's like for me at least, I'm learning yeah at least, you know fifty percent mm-hmm. of whatever I'm I'm teaching. I'm learning it at the same time. So it's kind of an amazing experience. When you yes. experience that, it it hooks you with with working with angels and archangels. It makes you want, want more and more and more of it.
0: All right. So I have a couple of a couple of things I want to talk about was it concerns angels and archangels. And so first of all, as we actually I don't think we said this on the podcast. We were just talking about how the Archangel energies or the angelic energies are like the Western path to enlightenment, which is what you talk about in the book Angels and Archangels. And just to, you know, mentioning that the other, you know, like on the East, they have the Hindu pantheon of gods and goddesses, and mm-hmm. it's an organization of of uh, basically code that they use to connect with somehow to those same energies. And Mm -hmm. so and that that's always been important for me in my teaching. While I favor the Western path because that's how I came up, I also Mm -hmm. felt constrained by the religion that is associated with it. So I always got to kind of stay awake in it. (laughs) You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? And so you talked recently about egregores, which I found so helpful because I teach about thought forms but there's the individuation of having your own personal energy of thought form and then the egregore energy. Yes. Talk about that, man. <laughs>
1: okay. So, you know, probably most of your listeners are going to be familiar with thought forms. A thought mm-hmm. form is basically like a whatever, whatever shape you put it in, whether you put it into the shape of an angel or... Uh, Even just a sphere, like a glowing ball of energy Mm -hmm. that you sort of program for a specific purpose and then release it. You Mm -hmm. know, you putting energy into something for a specific purpose and then let it go to do its job. You know, there's names. You you can say you're doing all sorts of things. You can say, you know, you're doing energy work or you're doing meditation or you're doing magic. But essentially what you're doing is creating what in magic we call a thought form, Mm -hmm. which is like a pocket of energy that's been programmed to do something. Mm -hmm. A egregore, on the other hand, is like a thought form created by more than one person. You know, Mm -hmm. like Jesus says, where two or more Mm -hmm. come together in my name, there I will be in their midst. So an egregore can be made of two people's energy or it can be made through entire culture's energy. So this is the difference between like working with the Eastern traditions and the Western traditions is, when you work, the, one of the reasons that we work with the Western traditions is because it forges contacts with the Western egregores. Mm-hmm. So one of the things we're trying to do in ceremonial magic uh, is, you know, you have different benchmarks. In magic, you have what the levels of training that you pass through. You have the first order, the second order, and the third order. The first order is where you are taught all of the basic rituals like the the Pentagram rituals, the hexagram rituals, the middle pillar, the rose cross, all of these sorts of things. The second order is where you take these rituals and start using them in a practical way. Now by practical, I, it could mean anything from manifesting something, you know, better in your life situation to uh, doing it for spiritual sustenance. What I mean by spiritual sustenance is you are, in magic we say, the point of this practice what we are reaching forward towards is completion of the great work so you start doing magic saying let me complete the great work within this lifetime essentially is what you're doing Mm -hmm. well in the second order uh once you start doing this work like the pinnacle of the second order is what we call uh attaining the knowledge and conversation of the holy guardian angel Mm -hmm. keep in mind um This does not mean what most people think it means when they hear phrases like Holy Guardian Angel because you are speaking, you are trying to read something that was written in code. Mm -hmm. You know, this was written by orders that if you were given this stuff, you were also going to be given other information along with it by the people that you're being initiated by. Mm -hmm. Uh, What attaining the knowledge and conversation of the Holy Guardian Angel is, is you will forge a connection to the egregore that is behind all of the Abrahamic religions in the West, uh, what Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all refer to as God. You are forming a de- a very very uh, I mean it's it's not it's it's kind of difficult to even describe to people how once this happens, the the way your consciousness will change. The yeah. only word that I can think of to describe what happens as you begin downloading, yes, you will start to see uh, everything in the world in an entirely different way. You're sort of mm-hmm. seeing it halfway through your eyes and halfway through the eyes of what we would think of as God.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When you pass into the third order, uh, the, to, first to pass into the third order, you have to go through a process they call crossing the abyss. This is what the reason that you're trying to connect with this egregore that we call the HGA. You take the energy that is flooding through you from that. And that's what you use to cross the abyss. Crossing the abyss is, is the dissolution of the self where you experience firsthand that you are the infinite consciousness, which is looking out through the eyes of every man, woman and child in this world. You know, you don't believe it. You don't hope it's true. Uh, you know, you don't have faith that it's true, you have direct experience that this is so, that you are an illusion, and that ultimately there is only God. Um, So, uh, you know, a lot of the practice of magic is very, very entwined and intertangled with the concept of egregores.
0: Mm -hmm and the idea so egregore is like a collective thought form and i love that yes we have a word for it and if you think about it i always talk when i'm teaching about um whether it's angel archangels or i'm teaching about masters or even if we're teaching about like interdimensionals like cosmic beatings like the pleiadians or anything like that that really you know, like names uh, are, are really just a human concept because we're so focused mm-hmm. you know fast you know we're so um like really even addicted to language and that's why language is is limiting it language even all of the words are really just myths that are pointing to expansive energy beneath it and Mm -hmm. so like the name michael archangel michael he's not limited to that he's not limited to the colors we associate Uh, with him he's not limited to you know the sword that we know he has or that he's the direction of south but that helps us to hook in those are the portals through which we can connect our energy to the knowledge of it and exactly and so you, you were saying like if we invoke, we start like maybe we start with Archangel Michael or whoever your HGA is. It's actually Ariel for me, which came to me spontaneously. I didn't know there was an Archangel Ariel, but I was getting into the idea of working with angels, and so I prayed to ask what the name of my guardian angel was. And I heard the name Ariel, and I doubted it at first because I thought that was the name of the Little Mermaid. <laughs> and mm-hmm. Then I found out that, that was actually an angel. Anyway, side note, I just thought I'd share that. Um, But yeah, if you're working with Michael, you're kind of starting – when you're first starting to work, you were saying like you kind of are working with your own thought form of that energy. And then at some point, you get to the egregore – you connect to the egregore energy. I'm saying it wrong. Can you explain that a little bit better than I just did?
1: (laughs) Uh, It's kind of hard to describe until Mm -hmm. you actually – perceive it. You know, when you're talking about magic, uh, if you're familiar with the teachings of Rudolf Steiner, you know, he was a guy that started off in theosophy and then eventually Mm -hmm. branched off and went his own way. But there was an amazing description he gave one time where he was saying, what we're doing with these techniques is we are developing um, faculties of perception that are dormant within most people. You know, mm-hmm. when we're talking about the physical level of reality, we perceive it through our eyes, through our yeah. ears, through the sensation of touch, through taste, all of these sorts of things. Well, we have those equivalent faculties on the energetic level of reality, mm-hmm. but they are uh, basically, what's the word, atrophied. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we've never utilized them, never, never, you know, forced them to function. So a lot of what we're doing through these practices is forcing those senses to develop Mm -hmm. uh, so that we're able to perceive these energies. Whenever you do start to be able to perceive this energetic level of reality, one thing you will realize is that um, the more you do these invocations, the stronger they seem to become. Yeah. You know, in the beginning, like you're doing them at first and you'll think, you know, I, I'm not really seeing anything here. I'm not detecting anything, mm-hmm. but you still get a result. You know, yeah. it still still seems to work. And you start thinking, well, would it have worked anyway? You know, wh- is it just coincidence? <laughs> um, the more you go along... The, it's not. I don't think it's actually becoming stronger. I think you are just becoming more and more able to perceive it. Yeah. And one of the things that you're able to perceive is that every single time you invoke, even if it's just your own energy of like, you know, whatever angel it is you're working with, every single time you do it, you are still forming a little bit stronger connection to that external egregore. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, before I forget, also, if you're familiar with the work of, uh, Eckhart Tolle. Of course. um, Yeah. That he was a part
0: of my awakening. (laughs) Yeah, He
1: describes egregores Mm -hmm. amazingly well in his books, but he does not use that word. He calls them collective egos. Yes. So when you're talking about things, you know, we create egregores, like countries create egregores, right. Religions create egregores. Races create egregores, uh, Fans of sports teams create egregores. It's basically energy combined of, of all these different people who are who are focused on it. So, mm-hmm. you know, this is a concept that is pervasive throughout most spiritual traditions. It just has different different names to it. And I kind of yeah. think the way he describes it in some ways is a lot simpler than a little
0: clearer. I, I remember yeah, him yes. in The Power of Now, I think it is. He's he's talking about when a, He's talking about the pain body, and mm-hmm. so that's basically like an egregore. We have your own exactly. thought form, that's personal it, pain, pain body. Is. And then he was saying like with a, a woman in menses that around her cycle, she could be connecting with the collective pain body or the egregore that has to do with womankind and perhaps yes. the pain and suffering that the womankind has been through. Um, but you could also connect to the egregore of the joy and you know elation of being you know bringing life you know bringing children through. So um, yeah, that collective coll- or even the collective unconscious, as Jung talks about the, mm-hmm. the collective consciousness. Another another thing is it, we even have egregores in sort of superstitious ways, where you have these different experiences where everybody saw you know the the, the, the half-man, half-hoofed animal that eats babies in the woods. You know, they somehow all, they actually thought they saw this, but it's because of that egregore, uh, egregore, con- I keep saying it wrong, egregor concept or the chupacabra or something like that. People are yes. having a collective experience about something.
1: Yes. And that's also uh, in in Tibetan Buddhism. Mm-hmm. I think they have like an incredibly amazing practice in Tibetan Buddhism for working with and creating thought forms and egregores. You know, mm-hmm. for example, one one uh, teaching that I came across one time was about how this Lama would get his students together and he would tell them about this horrific demon. Like he would describe it in exquisite detail so that while he's talking about, you know, how horrible it is and what it does and all this sort of thing, he's making them see it like very clearly Mm -hmm. in their minds. And anything you see clearly in your mind, you're feeding energy to that saying they have about where attention goes, energy Mm -hmm. flows. Mm -hmm. So they are creating a horrendous thought form, which they will then start to see. They will. They'll start going to the llama and saying, "I saw this demon. I finally saw it. This demon you've been telling me about." Mm-hmm. And the Lama will say, "Good. You created it. Now it's your job. The next stage of your practice is you figure out how to get rid of
0: it." Yeah, that's so great. And you talk about how the the demons, which are the thought or egregores that we that are created, that those are like the that that's the. Uh, the shadow, even you might say, like that's that's yes. the inner, that's our inner uh, selves that need to be cleaned up or cared for, nurtured, compact, whatever needs to be ascended, and then we have the external. Which some of those internal ones are also positive as well. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a hypnotherapist, and so we do work in that subconscious energy where we go in there. We're really trying to release the personal thought forms, mm-hmm. which are these these known, we call known associations that were created they were set in probably between the ages of zero and eight and it's like you stay there you thought form and make sure nothing else can pass through you (laughs) unless Mm -hmm. unless you unless you and so getting into that uh subconscious energy and actually either displacing it replacing it or releasing it all together it's a scary process though because if you do release it all together you feel lighter and you feel Mm -hmm. you feel less formed because you've some of the kind forms of, are gone
1: you know going back also to what you were saying a while ago about jung mm-hmm. and and even into freud and yeah. his work about the the ego, the superego, and the id. Uh, When you're talking about the internal work, the the internal process that happens while you're working with these things externally and you're also undergoing this internal process, you know, these concepts and practices go back to a time when people would have had no idea what you were talking about if you're using words like the id and the superego and the ego would have meant nothing to them whatsoever. They had to use terminology and concepts that were familiar to them their cultures, their civilizations, everything else. So when you're talking about on the internal aspect, the internal work, what we're doing is angels represent or angels and archangels represent our highest uh, possible, our higher selves. the, The ultimate level to which we are capable of ascending. When you're talking about in in magic, they call them goetic entities, Mm -hmm. or sometimes Christians will refer to them as demons. What you're talking about when you're referring to these things are like the deepest levels of the unconscious and subconscious minds, like that reptilian, fight or flight, survive at any cost, sort of, you know, part of our mentality that that normally in today's society, we don't pay a lot of attention to. So Mm -hmm. it just sort of gets suppressed and smothered down until it explodes in some odd way. (laughs) What we're doing in magic, we represent the uh, channel between the higher and the lower. You've got angels above demons below and us in between. What we're trying to do is we call magic, the union of opposites. We are trying to unite uh, the higher The lower and the everyday levels of consciousness into one cohesive unity, uh, which is what you would have called self actualization when you're that one cohesive unity that is a huge step towards the completion of the great work.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's why I love I, I the way that you taught the LB the Lesser Banishing Ritual of the Pentagram in high magic, and you add Sandalphon and Metatron, and I've always done that when I call the sacred directions as well, because that is the the vertical plane as well is is kind of what you're describing. We have the horizontal plane and the vertical plane. And I find that to be very complete. Besides, I have a kind of, I have a thing with Sandalphon. I love
1: them. <laughs> when I started doing that, it was one of those things where I thought, well, you know, when you start doing the the practice, you're working with um, the four main major archangels yeah. of the Western world. Mm-hmm. And you've got them in all four directions. And part of the the point of doing this ritual is not only are you cleansing all the energy out of the space where you're doing it, you know, it's kind of like. Yeah. Uh, smudging or Mm -hmm. saging or, or, you know, any other way that you would cleanse an area. That's part of what you're doing, where you're pushing all the energy out of that space and creating a sort of vacuum so that there will be no energy in that space, which will interact with the magic that you're about to do. You want it to be purely of your own design, what you're about to do. So I always thought, well, that that sounds great and all, but it's like I've got these four angels around me, but it's like it's I'm wide open above and and why, <laughs> yeah. like if something was really trying to get in, why wouldn't it just come from above or you know come from below? And and so I added those two angels just because you know psychologically to me it felt better to be encased so that mm-hmm. I'm sort of blocked and shielded and protected from all angles. But whenever I did that, you know, just adding those other two it seemed to make it so much more powerful and tangible um, that it made me start wanting to add even more and even more. And -hmm. and I didn't even realize at the time that that is a huge part of doing magic. It's like when you're learning those first order rituals, you're learning like a formula that you'll then expand upon, you know, until not only are you invoking these four angels, but you're invoking the, you know, the 72 angels and and the angels of the deacons of the zodiac and all that around you at the same time. Um, so it kind of took me through that process of, of you know trial and error just because of what felt right and it goes back yes. to what you said or asked earlier about the initiation. Mm. you know no one told me to do that in the beginning. It was just like I was sort of led to it through mm. you know my own thought processes and and through trial and error.
0: Mm-hmm. I could keep you all day, and I feel like I need to not do that. (laughs) I don't even know how long we've been talking. (laughs) So uh, one last question and Mm -hmm. um, reminding everyone to check the links below. By the way, I want to say so far as thought forms are concerned, I will link in this description um, uh, uh, past episodes where I talked about thought forms. And um, we will also link Damien's Upcoming, well, well, we'll, I'll link High Magic as well as Angels and Archangels and Magician's Guide. And that it that should be by the we are actually recording this one day. I think it's actually coming out tomorrow on our tomorrow, calendar, yeah. right? Yeah. So when y'all hear this, it's it's out. And so uh, go, go, just go. <laughs> but I also want to so I want to just ask you, um, very simple question How can magic help us today, especially the us? I'm thinking about this planet. All the crap that's going on, all the pain and the suffering, and so how can magic help us individually and then collectively?
1: Well, I think in many, many different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, just just one example is even if you're not doing magic for manifestation purposes, even if if you're just invoking these angels because you enjoy the sensation yeah. of the interaction with them and you see. Know how much it improves your outlook on life, and even your physical energy, and mm-hmm. you know, your it, it makes you. Um, the only way I know how to describe it is it lifts you up. Mm-hmm. You know, when you start, like when I started doing this work, from that point on, rarely did I ever experience things anymore like depression or mm-hmm. despair or any of that. It was like it just automatically boosted my energy. Yeah. It made me feel better emotionally, psychologically physically, in every way. So when you feel better, when you're improving yourself, when you're doing, you know, in what they call new age circles, like raising your vibrational frequency, you are going to change the vibrational frequency of every other person, place, and thing that you come in contact with. You Mm -hmm. are going to turn yourself into a living talisman so that you don't have to try to go out and save the world. Mm. Wherever you go, you are going to automatically have an uplifting, upraising effect on everything and person that you come in contact with. So that's a huge part of how magic can help us. But then you also have the aspect of uh, it really does allow you to participate in the unfolding creation of the physical world. So you can do magic to, you know, for, I'll, I'll do magic all the time. I live, you know, in, in New York and Harlem. So I will do magic every day. Like I will start off doing it. Like I will bring in as much energy as I can and say, let this protect guide and illuminate everyone in my apartment building. Mm-hmm. And then I'll do it the next day and I'll bring it down and I'll say, let this protect guide and illuminate everyone on my block. Mm-hmm. And then the next day I say, let it do it for everyone in Harlem. And then the next day, I say, "Let it do it for everyone in New York." So you're literally doing yeah. magic for the intention of raising everyone's vibration, so that we are all closer to the completion of the great work.
0: Have nothing to add to that. That's beautiful. Thank Amen. You. You're anchoring that energy, and you're shining that light. Well, again, I could I could have you on for hours. So I just will say. I mean, thank you so much for all the work that you're doing. Thank you for your books. Thank you for the videos. And um, check out also pretty soon, the Sounds True course will be out. So y'all keep an eye out for that. And you know what? We'll keep in touch and I'll make sure that I give it a shout out so people can go find it because I think that's going to be powerful.
1: absolutely love that. To me, it's like these are the only kind of conversations that matter. everything else is just stuff you get through in -hmm. order to get back to this so you know not only do i appreciate you having me on just for you know getting the word out about magic and about the books and things like that but also just because uh it makes me enjoy life more (laughs) thank you for that
0: Well, definitely check out the links in the description. We have all of Damien's information. We have the links to High Magic as well as Angels and Archangels, and I also just wanted to let you know we talked we just brushed through it a little bit, but the story of Damien's wrongful murder conviction has been the subject of the HBO documentary called Paradise Lost and West of Memphis. I hope you loved this episode as much as I did, and I look forward if you want to put some comments here, talk to me about your experience with magic and actually, I would love to invite you to like, subscribe, share, comment, and leave a review for the podcast if you're listening. And if you do subscribe on the YouTube channel, be sure to hit the little bell because then you'll get notifications of the new podcasts. I am currently doing them once per week. And when I get a little more free time, I publish a lot more. I publish some in between the weekly podcast. And as always, thanks for tuning in. I love you, whoever you are.